Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Friday, August 18th. I am Tim O'Malley, joined by John Bryce of both FootballScoop.com and Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And it's been a busy month of August. I counted 54 different players and coaches we interviewed, I guess, since this began in very late July. That's got to be a record, I assume, because there's no possible way a record was set by a previous regime like this. So after all of that and a couple full viewings and plenty of roll calls later, what have you, Pete, learned or confirmed about the 2023 Irish heading into game week? Um, I th- I feel like they're going to end up being more of a traditional offense than I would have thought on July one. Like I I really thought that the, not that they were going to be a pass first offense under Marcus, but I thought that they were going to be a pass more regularly this year. And I, I, I just don't think the roster is ultimately going to be built that way. Um, You know, I I think that they can still be devastating with Sam Hartman um, as like a play action passer leaning on Audrick Estime and Jadarian Price. But um, yeah, I, I do think that the offense is going to be much more of a, a similar to last year, but a lot better um, for obvious reasons at quarterback. Um, so that's a little bit of a change. And then I think that, um, you know, we've talked about a bunch, like the interior defensive line is a lot better than what I thought. Um, receivers did not come along the way that I was expecting at all. Um, but so those, those were probably the big, the big takeaways for me down after, I mean, you saw a lot, you had the opportunity to rove at our last practice and uh, just kind of from your inside point of view coming over, what, where do you think they have grown the most? Um, I, I agree with Pete that it's, it's the interior defensive line for me because I, you know, we didn't know if the defensive line would rank sixth, seventh, perhaps when we left spring eighth, even if you're rating the positions and now, I mean, they're, they're, the way they performed at camp, their top three, it probably won't, you know, you can't base everything on camp, but they sure looked that way during training camp. You know, I, th- I think for me, where I'm most impressed and where I think this team has grown the most, even particularly since Marcus got here in 21, is at the second and third levels of its defense. I just think this is such a much faster, more versatile group at both linebacker and in the secondary. Um, when we talk about the fact there's still some position battles, maybe at the nickel or that multiple guys can and will and have the capability to play at the nickel. I think that's significant to see the growth of Cam Hart, to have DJ Brown back and just have that level of experience. And then I think Xavier Watts is just a natural football player. I think we probably talked about that before. So for me, um, I really like what Notre Dame has done at the second and third levels. I think they're so much better um, to equip to handle some of the more athletic teams like a USC, like an Ohio State that's going to crop up along their schedule. And then offensively, I think that one through five, they're arguably the deepest tailback uh, rotation 
running back group in anywhere in college football. I know I've made this reference. Uh, Alabama really likes its top two. Georgia likes what it's got going on. Um, but I love what Notre Dame has at the tailback uh, position. We'll have more on that, of course, going into the game week and into the weekend, the old five-headed monster. And then, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, um, but I think that um, we didn't see enough out of the receivers, in my opinion, to, to pass full judgment on them. And I still think that that Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores are showing tremendous promise, and Jaden Thomas is just going to be super sturdy, steady, reliable. Um, and T- Tobias just has to be consistent. I think the running backs is a point to stick with because, as Pete said, probably more run power-based with play-action pass, and that's because they can come at you multiple ways. Look, if number five is Jeremiah Love, who is going to get involved because, as Elon McCullough said, he is about that life. He wanted to find out if Jeremiah Love wanted to put his head down once in a while. He's not just fast. I mean, from the outside looking in, we always thought it was Jabron Payne who was number five. He's not viewed that way right now. Uh, he's viewed as number two probably right now. I don't think that sticks the whole year. I think it's Jadarian Price, of course. Jadarian Price trying to work his way back into things. But McCullough, I think it's worth noting, and I brought this up a couple times, he recruited Payne twice, and I, I think he really likes what he brings to the backfield. Completely, completely agree. And he's just, um, I know that that's one of the questions. Is it just, is he there by default or has he earned his placement there? And I, w- I would contend that based on everyone I've talked to, he's earned his placement there again, because it is a a deep and versatile group that has a number of different skill sets. But Jabron Payne does a little bit of something good with just about everything they ask of their backs. And then I do think he's improved. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't be in the mix to be a return man at, at various points in the coming season. Um, you don't put a guy who's not dynamic back there for returns. And so I, I I think that Jabron Payne has ascended. I'm still really high on on Jadarian Price, Jadarian Price, um, and Devin Ford. The fact he's another guy that is going to have an impact in the return game, I also think is significant. I think Jadarian Price, like if you're just picking on an individual surprise, and this this isn't something that I think we've necessarily seen at the open practices, um, but I know his strength numbers uh, and his weight room numbers really are top notch. And, and it would lead you to believe that he has, at least from a weight room point of view, is all the way back from the Achilles. Um, and it, Tommy Reese told me, like, this guy is the most talented back on our team before he popped the Achilles. I know Dylan McCullough privately has told people that like, he still feels like that may be the case. Um, and the fact that that is even under consideration at this point, um, I think is very, very um important for where Notre Dame goes like I, I know it's like five-headed monster like there's not enough carries to go around but if it's estimate and price and you get Ford maybe at the beginning of the season as your third back love maybe later in the season as your third back man that would be a that would be a really nice talented uh productive group and I think there's two keys to price we didn't see him have great open practice number two number one doesn't count because they weren't tackling each other and, and of course day one was not going to be Jadarian Price's best day back after the Achilles but I think we didn't see him because the defensive line played so well in that scrimmage it's I, we didn't see Audric Estime was basically out because of an ankle injury that scrimmage he would not have had a good day either the way the defensive line was playing and that's that's crucial and John and Pete you guys have both referenced this to me separately it can be tough on the offense in training camp when the offense is kind of running normal stuff and the defense is scheming. I think that is what we were told happened quite a bit. Um, Pete, I remember back in the spring, you even kind of talked to 
like Al Golden was throwing every blitz package in the world at Joe Rudolph. And you can ask Rudolph at, at what point or, or to Jared Parker, at what point is it diminishing returns that they are just coming at you and all you're doing is blitz package protection on third and 12. And I really think the defense kind of had the advantage in the training camp practices we watched, but to John's point about five headed monster, look, if it is pain and love at the back of that five headed monster, it used to be Flemister. It used to be Jameer Smith. That's different, right? This that, that that's why this depth is different. Um, and and so no matter no matter how you look at it, that John, your your point of view is correct that they have a lot more there if somebody goes down. Yeah, again, I I just think the the overall roster enhancement, but particularly um, at those second and third levels of the defense that I've referenced, and and then what they've done at the running back position, and then look, I still think Chancey Stuckey deserves a lot of credit for uh, having prospects and not just suspects, as I alluded to the other day, uh, because. You know, the, I mean, they had a guy before who just flat out didn't recruit, who didn't sign anybody in one of his final classes. And then Chancey is a young coach trying to uh, amend that in a hurry. Yeah, it's interesting. I, that was one of the things I, I wish I was able to get into this with Mickens a little bit more the other day. Like Mickens is really a, a year ahead of Chancey in terms of rebuilding your room. Um, and you see where cornerback has got where like, I mean, how many teams have we covered where Christian Gray would be in contention to start? Uh, most I would say most of if this is my 15th training camp certainly over eight so maybe nine ten yes yeah well comfortably over half of the teams I mean Kavari Russell jumped right in and started he yeah might have been Christian Gray instead and had no idea what he's doing like yeah yeah, Christian Gray would be far superior to Kavari Russell at like this stage of their career um because he's actually played corner before so it um yeah, the the corner room is sort of where the receiver room needs to go. There's they're a year away from there. Um, you know, they they will start Tobias, Tyree, and Thomas against Navy uh, and moving forward. But Rico and Great House are four and five. Um, probably in the reverse order. I think Great House is four and and uh, Rico is five. Salerno is probably six. That's like He's is so- that ideal? Ideal? No. Um, but. I, I like the fact that Rico and Greyhouse are going to sort of get fast tracked. Um, and then really it gets back to can Tobias be what we all thought he was going to be or think he can still be. If that clicks on, then then the receiver room should be good. Um, but they're but they're still a year away from being where the corner room is right now. Right. And I think if you just said most people, if you said Matt Salerno is seven, you'd be like, well, that's great for a sixth year senior that we know can block and can make plays and that they trust. You want what well, you did need Deion Colsey to pick up where he left off. Uh, maybe he will. He didn't show it in camp. And from obviously from Pete, what you're talking about there, the freshman to say the freshman passed him. I think we all would have guessed that going in, but it's up to Colsey to pass them in September, because as much as I love great house and I love floors and recruiting. And I know Tim Priester will rejoin us Monday really loves Rico Flores in camp. These two guys are at some point going to hit the wall. They're going to need Deion Colsey. Deion Colsey was nobody for the first seven games last year. He was completely written off. Chauncey Stuckey is the nicest guy to talk to in the world. He did not like my line of questioning when I said, you don't have enough receivers for a season. (laughs) Yes, we do. Well, you know what? Last year, you had a guy quit and he had two guys miss half the year at this point. So there's going to have to be reinforcements. And I'm hoping Colsey can do that because... If Colsey just repeats last year, just last year, not double it like I was thinking he could do when we came into August, repeat last year with eight third down conversions over, say, the first 10 games, that would be that would augment the room. 
Yeah, again, I agree with that. Um, I think Matt Salerno gets taken for granted a little bit because of his story and because of his journey. Um, but when people in the program I've talked to over the course of camp have really raved about Matt and, and have said that Matt has made multiple people raise their games, Deion Colsey chief amongst them. Uh, again, I think that's a very good thing for Notre Dame as you see these guys. You need them to compete. You you didn't need a situation of a year ago where you knew no matter how many balls the Lorenzo Styles dropped, you had to run him back out there and you had to target him more than not. And, and that speaks to another thing you guys just talked about on the defensive side of the ball in terms of guys being forced into starting. You don't have a single position, I don't think, right now on either side of the ball where you have some guy being forced to start because you don't have anybody else capable. And two years ago, if uh, Rico and Great House were here at that time, they would have been forced to start because that's what the cupboard – had in it. So again, I do think the depth overall is really improved. Uh, we see the growth. We see to Pete's great point where it can be. Um, and Mickens is now, I guess, the longest tenure guy on staff, which is nuts. Yeah, that is bizarre. Yeah, it's like corner depth, very good. Linebacker, I think they're underrated by like I think Notre Dame's own fan base underrates what Notre Dame has at linebacker. Um, well, they don't like the top three. That's why they've just been waiting for like. Prince Collie's sorry, he's not going to get reps this year. Um, is he going to get reps uh, not, anywhere else? He might not get reps at Vanderbilt. Um, you know, Jalen Sneed will be the new Prince Collie this year in terms of like, why can't they get him on the field? Like, well, the the other guys are really, really good. Um, you know, the, the Anye and um, Gabriel Rubio combination inside, I think, I, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, like, I know Marcus credited Al Washington uh, quite a bit the other week when we talked to him and like certainly gets certainly some of the credit there, but you know, I, I give Anya a lot of credit for Jason Anya and I give Rubio a lot of credit for Rubio. Um, yeah, it's the, the running back depth is good. Tight end depth, I think is okay. Um, receiver depth is in development. Um, safety depth is, I, I think we all say it's not where it needs to be. Um, they did, a good but it's job better of, than we thought it might be when we, yeah, with it. Harper and Carter, they at least, they have a depth chart there, um, you know, and that's, that's significant. And then, you know, rush end is probably the spot where I think the staff would look at it and be like, ah, you know, we, we've, we've had some misses here that, you know, we, we can't just keep taking linebackers and turning them into vipers. Um, but, you know, that's not, you're not going to be equally deep at all positions all the time. This isn't the university of Georgia. Before we move on a little bit to Navy, um, you mentioned Jalen Steed, and you have started to hear good things about Jalen Steed, which well, is not something we had last year at all. And I would say it wasn't something seven. we had in the first week. No, and it wasn't. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't through the offseason either necessarily. But I know he's not a Viper, but on third down, he's going to be some type of Viper. <laughs> in other words, on third down, I think that's where he's going to make his hay is he he can he can get there. He can get to the quarterback. He brings some heat. They just. They have to find a way to use them, and I think, I mean, he's clearly the number four. I know it's Nolan Ziegler by default might have been the four. Steve might have been 4B. He's clearly the number four, um, but it's the packages where he can help out, and I, I just want I know as much as we like the three linebackers and how they're going to play this year, I think they really need Sneed in that 250-plus snap range to help to augment the defense, especially third down. I think Snead has to, has to play substantially. I think he will. Um, I think he will significantly – impact things at times he may have some bus but he's also going to make some plays that uh cause the message boards once again to light up and say see that's why they recruited him and uh so i do i do very much agree with that and again i would tie kind of all of that together 
I think he can be an impact player on special teams. And I think, uh, again, in, in harping on this depth, Notre Dame special teams look so much more athletic. When you see uh, a Jaden Osbury out there on special teams, when you see Snead out there on special teams, when you see Drake Bowen out there on special teams, I just think Notre Dame uh, has some guys that are uh, candidates to be impact players on teams that they didn't athletically have even two or three years ago, in my opinion. We will have uh, more, of course, on Navy next week. Tim Preacher is going to rejoin us Monday. So we have Monday and Friday. Friday will be from the bar in Dublin. For those, We will drop a uh, address on the message board on this podcast thread for people that would like to join. I think there might be four mics going on for that one. We all won't, won't be zooming in. We're going to be sitting there, and there will be uh, there will be beverages involved as well. So that will be fun for the game preview. But briefly with Navy, um, this is more coming from Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette. Looks like two quarterbacks will play. Uh, Blake Horvath is a redshirt freshman. Ty Lavatai is the player. Notre Dame fans remember, and I uh, did not see Arline in the competition since early in camp, Xavier Arline. So briefly, Grant Chestnut, new offensive coordinator, um, and Brian Newberry, of course, for those that don't know, Coach Ken, as Brian Kelly called him, is no longer the head coach at Navy, but Newberry is the defensive coordinator promoted. And I think that's relevant. I think there'll be some weird stuff going on in game one. And uh, Pete disagrees with me, so he gets to go. <laughs> uh, I think that if Jared Parker didn't spend at least one period on zero blitz in camp, uh, shame on him. But uh, it because Notre Dame sure as hell looked like they weren't prepared for it a year ago in the game. So I, I, the offense and the Kennesaw State sort of it's going to be a more modern version of the option yeah. from what Navy ran in the past where it was you know kind of your traditional triple and veer type stuff so i think there will be some funky stuff offensively um defensive defensively i don't know how more funky they can get than what they played last year That's true. Uh, they're not going to drop eight um i you know i say that and they, they will but they will certainly heat up Sam Hartman or at least try to. Unlike last year, I think that the quarterback will not um, sort of become hunched over and like play shorter than he already is. So I think that Notre Dame, in theory, should be okay there. <laughs> and, and and we didn't, again, we saw two full practices and then, as you guys call it, uh, roll call or, or attendance taking, whatever. Um, but we did see them working a little bit more on the potential of a, of a throw element in the Navy offensive attack. I thought that was significant. Uh, and then, again, the depth and versatility of Notre Dame's running back group, I think, will be key. This is also um, to, the, to Pete alluding about the pressure that Navy brought a year ago and will continue to bring. It's where I think Chris Tyree can be incredibly valuable from the jump for this season. I do think that um, as we look at this Notre Dame offense and think it is probably going to have it a little bit more balanced than maybe what we expected when, when Sam Hartman first signed with the Irish, I do think a guy like Chris Tyree is, is poised for a real breakout season. And he's one of those guys that caught 20,000 balls this year over the course of summer under, under Chancey Suckey. I think they had five guys catch 20,000 balls, seven of those guys in that grouping, caught 18,000 or more um, over a seven week period. So that's the, de the dedication has been there. Um, and again, we haven't seen enough in practice to pass wholesale judgment, but I know there are a lot of whispers about what Chris Tyree can do for that position group and sooner rather than later. I wish there was someone with really bad hands on the team. So I could ask you who dropped the 2000 that did not get to his 20,000 catches. <laughs> but 
before uh, I do want to table Navy till next week. But uh, as much as I am wary of getting the kitchen sink thrown at Notre Dame on both sides of the ball, I should point out a little research shows Navy's offense has scored 17 points in its last three season openers combined. So when you are working on a new offense at Navy, it does not just show up as a ready-made package like we see the Malcolm Perry and Ricky Dobbs of days past. Before wrapping up this segment, uh, Tom Loy put on a a story today, the top 10 paid Notre Dame professional football players. Uh, If you read that, you can understand what Pete has always said on our podcast. It is your second contract that matters because Kyle Hamilton's number 10. He will not be in a couple of years. Yeah, and and this is something that we've seen Notre Dame continue to use in recruiting. A lot of schools use it in recruiting. I think Notre Dame has done a better job in emphasizing that, especially with some of the offensive lineman money that we've already seen this year that we would very likely continue to see over the coming weeks and months. And so, yeah, I do think that that's substantial. Uh, The second contract is how you – get to your pension in the NFL, which is what former NFL players that I've been fortunate enough to have relationships with have talked about. Like we got to get to that pension. We have to get those full five years in so that we get that pension whenever we're done. And so, yeah, the second contract is the key. Notre Dame has a lot of offensive linemen in the league getting very beautiful second contracts. I think uh, Pete, if you were, if you haven't seen the list, there's one name on there you're going to be very proud of because I think you got to know him a little bit at Notre Dame in his veteran seasons and how Brian, he's one of the few people Brian Kelly has ever visited to say, thank you for saving me in the Notre Dame comeback against Virginia when Durham Smythe needing yes. two sur- Durham, Durham Smythe needing two surgeries that week stayed on the field. So they would not have to burn a timeout. He has made some money with the Miami Dolphins. So he earned it right there. Yeah. Good for him. I was, I was surprised that he was on the list at all. Yeah. And then I was also surprised. I didn't realize Romeo Aquara was on that kind of a deal either. Um, That's insane. Good for him. Um, yeah, it's almost like Notre Dame would like this story written so they can then print it out and send it around to people. So um, that's is not to change this up. But I mean, look, Marcus Freeman will tell you privately that the number one thing in recruiting, he may say this publicly, is the NFL. That's it. Like, okay. sorry, it, you know, I know everyone wants to talk about four for 40 or four for forever. That's not it. That's number three after the NFL and winning. And then four for 40 comes after that. Um, that's, then having steak delivered directly to you, not on a cart, right? That's yeah, uh, that's. I think NIL actually is over the food cart, um, but point taken. Um, and yeah, it's like Notre Dame could use a receiver on here, um, a skill, a running back on here at some point, um, a quarterback on here at some point would be great. Um, it's been a minute since Notre Dame's hit um, at positions other than tight end and offensive line, but uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see if that they can get there down the road. That's for segment one. We'll be back with segment two, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, 
Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit aerlingus.com to book today. Join Irish Illustrated at our official pub, The Bar at St. Stephen's Green, in supporting Our Lady's Children's Hospital in Dublin with a financial contribution of your choice. Your donation will enter you into a raffle to win some great prizes, which includes an Irish Illustrated flag that will fly outside the pub, a Joe Montana signed Guinness football, a print of the Aerolingus College Football Classic, and more. The raffle will be drawn on Sunday, August 27th, and winners need not be present. Just go to the Irish Illustrated message board or Facebook page to learn how to donate. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is a long one from Iolander. My hopefulness for the upcoming season is tempered by the factors below. And what is the possibility of another Marshall slash Stanford game? His factors are Marcus Freeman is still inexperienced. This is Jared Parker's first year as an offensive coordinator. Sam Hartman's learning a new offense with the new offensive coordinator. Sam Hartman still has to build chemistry with his wide receivers and tight ends. And that room is still relatively unproven. I, I had a question in my mailbag about this today because somebody want to know like if Notre Dame is under on wins this year like what went wrong and I think that the the sort of immediate reaction is that like oh the the receivers didn't deliver or um, you know the pass rush was bad and I actually think like if Notre Dame season goes sideways it will be like one of the strengths wasn't nearly as consistent as what we thought and I think the the two things where Notre Dame need to take the biggest jump this year consistency of quarterback play and consistency in leadership from the head coach who's you know now in year two so if Notre Dame struggles I don't think it's going to have to do with Tobias Merriweather or Jordan Botello or um, Xavier Watts I think it's either going to be Marcus Freeman or Sam Hartman where Marcus just doesn't have the messaging quite right you know, and it's uh, you get into a roller coaster situation like which they did last year, where the highs were very high and the lows were very low. Or Sam Hartman has a game, and he had some of these at Wake Forest, where it's like three picks, four picks, six turnover, like just something off the rails. Um, that's that's in him somewhere. Um, Notre Dame should be able to play balanced football enough that they don't ask him to like open himself up to that possibility but I do think if Notre Dame struggles at some point this year it's going to have much more to do about the head coach and the quarterback than it will about the receivers or the pass rush or the the back of the defense yeah and good point on Hartman he had some of those high volume interception games from time to time at Wake Forest when you talk to people around college football or specifically around the Notre Dame program to me the refrain I continue to get is you live with the fact that Sam is going to make some mistakes. He's going to have some turnovers because of the ceiling he brings to your offense, to your team, and to your season, <laughs> pardon me, as a whole. Um, so I think that's significant. I think there is an adjustment period for Jared Parker. There's a lot of pressure there because he is bringing a record-setting quarterback in because um, he may turn out to be the absolute greatest fit, and I do think there's something to be said for chemistry and trust there from the head coach to the offensive coordinator um, that's very, very important. But Jared himself knows that he wasn't the first choice and has said that, um, but he wants to prove that he's the right choice. So I would I would agree with Pete in those regards. But as I've examined the schedule time and time again, as I've looked around 
college football this year. Um, I don't think there's quite as many dominant teams out there. I think Notre Dame is better equipped one through 85 than it was a year ago, particularly at the quarterback position. I just don't think this team loses or goes sideways against a Stanford or a Marshall, which I guess the equivalent would be, you know, Stanford again late or Central Michigan the third week of of September or whatever. So, um, yeah, there are elements that could be traps that might cause Notre Dame to have a bad game. I just don't see this being Notre Dame dipping um, down in, into multiple head scratching losses. Yeah, I don't. The reason I think we're contractually obligated, right, is Notre Dame media to go back and give plaudits to Sam Hartman. So I'm going to go ahead and do that right here. The reason I don't think they will lose to Marshall or the Central Michigan equivalent of Marshall is if you remember the end of that half, I still believe that Braden Lindsay opening, running open to end the half by 10 yards, 70 yards downfield. And Tyler Buckner missing him by an impossible amount is a back-breaking go-ahead touchdown for Notre Dame against a team like Marshall. Take nothing away from Marshall. They they took it to Notre Dame when they had to, especially to Notre Dame's defense. But I don't believe Sam Hartman would lose to Marshall last year, even if everything was going wrong. He hits those throws. And the Stanford game is the most famous, right? Braden Lindsay running down the, down the end zone of the post, wide open, air melted out of the back of the end zone. Notre Dame deserved to lose to Stanford, too. However... These are throws that this quarterback will make. That doesn't mean he can make them against Clemson and Ohio State. I'm saying maybe a little bulletproof in terms of losing these games when everything has to be perfect uh, for a a team when the quarterback doesn't play well. Yeah, and it's like I'm not – like Stanford and Central Michigan like are beyond the pale of this year. I'm talking more like if Sam Hartman has one of the – a high Louisville. Louisville Three turnover games against Louisville or Pitt or NC State. Like – That's how I could see Notre Dame losing a game. You're like, what the heck happened there? Like, that's that's not something that I would just dismiss out of hand as a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but um, if if you're trying to figure out a way, like, how does betting the under make sense? Um, you would probably need a couple of those kinds of games. Yeah, um, and I actually, when you say and the under doesn't make sense, by the way, I'm just saying. No, no, I, I know. I, I think that's 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 a valid point. I just don't. Uh... I know I think Notre Dame does have one of those games in them, but I don't think it's all because of I, I think those teams are much better than the Stanford Marshall, as Pete pointed out. Next question is Golden by name. After all your observations and intel from camp, rank the wide receivers one to seven in order of receptions. So those receivers, of course, are Colsey, Tyree, Merriweather, Flores, Greathouse, Salerno, and Thomas. I, I would probably touched on this. Yeah, I think I would go Jaden Thomas. I think there's a really good chance that Chris Tyree is number two from that grouping. Then maybe it's Merriweather at the three. Um, and then I think that Flores and, and Great House probably round out the four and the five. Uh, that to me, um, maybe three, four, and five end up being slightly interchangeable. Certainly four and five do. Um, but I really think that the Jaden Thomas has appeared to me um, over the course of this preseason camp to have the best timing and chemistry down already with Sam Hartman. I think there's more mutual trust there between the two. Um, and then Chris Tyree, I continue to think, will uh, with his speed and what even little flashes that we've seen in camp, I think Notre Dame is going to do some neat things with Chris Tyree that's going to give him a chance uh, to be in that grouping and be a very valuable safety valve uh, for Sam Hartman. Yeah, those jet sweeps count as receptions. So uh, Chris it's Tyree yeah. got to make a, leave in a, a little living out of that. I'd go pretty much the exact same. I go Thomas, Tyree, Merriweather, Great House, Salerno, Flores, Colsey. I'm close. I'm going to put Colsey over Salerno and that Colsey will 
do what he did at some point last year. And that would be, I don't think Salerno gets over a dozen receptions. That's, you know, <laughs> one a game, basically. Um, seven receivers is a lot. I agree with the order. I do think if Tyree does not have a quick start, you could see Jaden Greathouse move into the one from, from four to three, maybe Merriweather's two and Greathouse. Jaden Greathouse will not be denied as your pass catcher during his Notre Dame career. I don't think, I, I think he is incredibly adept at finding space and Sam Hartman will find him next from judge Arthur Vandalay. How is the safety position going to operate? Will it be Xavier Watts plus a rotation of Carter Brown and Henderson or all four get significant playing time. And if it's just three, who is the odd man out? I've had a hard time tracking this in the viewings that we've had. Cause it's like, they're working on different things and they'll go ones and twos together. Sometimes it's nickel. Sometimes it's Aztec or Apache or whatever they're calling that these days. Um, Something cool. Yeah. I, my hunch is DJ Brown and Xavier Watts will start. And then Henderson will be three. And right now I would say Carter would be four. Um, but I think there's a lot of room for that to change as the season changes too. And, you know, guys develop at different rates, but uh, Watson Brown would be my, my top two right now. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with, with Pete on those top two. Um, I do think, again, there's some positional versatility there um, for the Ballyhooed Aztec position or whatever you want to call it. I mean, they're, they're looking at any anybody from Harper to AC2 to even Jack Kaiser in more of a hybrid role during some random packages. And so I think that, um, yeah, everybody wants to know who's going to start. And I completely agree with Watts and DJ being the two guys that are your true starting safeties. Um, but, but I think there's going to be a lot of rotation there. And I think there's going to be different guys stepping in for different elements. I know uh, when we visited with, with O'Leary and some of the other members of the secondary, they were stunned um, that Antonio had ever played cornerback because of his physicality. And so maybe the Navy game becomes more of a game that suits his skill set and, and suits his traits because he is absolutely not going to be afraid to stick it in there. And DJ Brown himself has um, had multiple teammates tell me that that he's elevated his physicality to an all-new level this year. We know uh, Xavier Watts is physical. Yeah, I think the funny part about this question is we don't have an answer until week three NC State because – Whatever you see against Navy has nothing to do with the rest of the season. It's just who plays well against that scheme. And Tennessee State's going to be such heavy rotation. You should see. I mean, that's a time where if if Adon Schuler and Ben Minnick are ever thought of as varsity players and they can play four games this year to keep the red shirt, that you get those guys into that game too. So you'll know when you leave NC State what they what they like. But Pete, I agree. Antonio Carter, I think, becomes more of a player as the season progresses. There still has to be a learning curve for all the stuff. I mean, Ramon Henderson and DJ DJ Brown know so much more about the defense. You you don't want you don't want Antonio Carter back there trying to communicate with Watts for the first time when it's Ohio State. I just think Antonio Carter plays more and Ramon Henderson plays more, and they'll lean on those first two guys. Next from Irish, I were drunk. I can never say that right, but it is a good name. Notre Dame Navy over under is fifty point five. Are you taking the over? I'm absolutely taking the over. Um, I, ju- I just am. I think that, um, again, you guys have referenced it, how bad Navy has been in some openers. I know it's a new regime, um, but, but Sam Hartman is playing his first game at Notre Dame with so many ACC benchmarks and, and Wake Forest passing benchmarks, and there's so much talent on the Notre Dame offensive side of the ball in, in the positions we've already outlined. So, yeah, I take I take the over in that game. 
with the caveat, I keep checking the weather every day like a lunatic, and I know it's going to rain in Ireland. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, but the rain chances do look a little less today for Saturday during game time than what they did earlier this week, Tim, when I talked to you and Tim about the weather. Well, you're not a lunatic because it's an outdoor press box, so it's absolutely relevant yeah. that it's raining in Ireland. I'd like to point that out to the listeners. We don't care about walking to the game. It's more of those four hours sitting there. Well, yeah. in, in honor of Judge Arthur Vandaly there uh, inserting a question, I do feel a little bit like like Morty Seinfeld or something worrying about the weather so damn much. Yeah, I would I would hit the over on this one. Um, I, man, I'd maybe by a lot. I I feel like Notre Dame is going to get in the forties on this, and Navy is unless they just is a total flat tire and they end up with you know, a touchdown and that's it. Like let's dial back the mutual respect a little bit and make sure we get to the over. Yeah. I, I took the over, uh, which guarantees all three of us saying that is it's going to be 49 to nothing or 46 to three or something ugly like uh 30 to 20. So we, uh, <laughs> we have guaranteed that you probably should not bet that, but uh second half over, we talk about that a lot. I like Navy scoring points against Notre Dame's backups. So that's why I think the over is the way to go. Next from Eddie Davis, and Pete touched on this one. Do you still feel like the offense is going to carry this team? As fall camp wrapped up, it seemed like the defense was the unit that brought the energy and confidence while the offense was still finding its footing. Yeah, I, I, less complimentary, so. Complimentary yeah, football? Yeah, less so. I, I really thought, like, when, I mean, when we were talking about what Notre Dame was going to be like in January or something, I thought they were going to have to win shootouts. Um I don't feel that way at all. I think the staff privately is much higher on the defense than I would have thought they, they could have justified justifiably been, but I think it's a, an earned optimism there. So I don't, I'm not saying they're going to be a lockdown defensive team, but um, I think they'll be able to win on defense in a way that man, when the, when the we were going through transfer portal season in January and February, I thought this defense was going to struggle. Um, I don't feel that way at all now. So I don't, you know, maybe the offense will carry them sometimes. Um, they will be capable of carrying them, which they weren't last year at all. Um, but uh, I don't think the defense is going to take nearly the step back that maybe some people thought, including myself, um, you know, in the off season in the winter. Yeah, I think that this is now an offense, um, again, to just completely belabor the Sam Hartman point. This is now an offense that you feel like, okay, if you get into a shootout, you have the quarterback play, you have some different uh, abilities out of the backfield, you have Eli Raritan closer and closer to 100%. Holden stays looks like a, a matchup problem. We know Mitchell's just super steady. Um, and then you have developing wide receivers. I think this is an offense capable – of keeping Notre Dame in step if a game evolves into a shootout, but I don't think this is an offense that necessarily will or will have to carry Notre Dame, but an offense that can assert itself and carry Notre Dame if needed. And that's crucial because if Notre Dame, even if those receivers, the receivers looked fantastic, but we were still down on the defense, your prediction for the Notre Dame season would be much worse. You can't, you can't go into a season with Ohio state Clemson and, and USC and say, well, the defensive line's a problem and we'll see what happens there in the secondary with the safety. That that's, that's an absolute recipe for disaster. We're going to skip the Callahan auto parts question. Not that it's not a good one, but it's all about Jabron Payne's rise and the running back depth chart and go on to man and T. There seems to be a silent agreement that this could be Al Golden's last year at Notre Dame. Do you foresee anything changing that dynamic? 
why do you think this fit isn't as good as everyone had hoped? You know, yeah, I don't I don't know if, if I'm supposed to go first or if Pete is, but I'll just dive in here and apologize if I'm stepping on toes. I don't think the fit is necessarily that bad. I just think that um, Al Golden's strengths are as a defensive tactician, and he's not as relational maybe as a lot of the other coaches are on this staff, including the head coach. Um, but I think that Al Golden – Staying for a second year is very key. As you guys already alluded to, it would have been a, a fourth defensive coordinator in four years for these guys, which is just an impossible um, impossible set of, of obstacles to navigate in this day and age in college football, in my opinion, especially with the, the diversity of schedule that Notre Dame plays. I don't think Al's a bad fit. I just think he is a, a very good tactical fit. Um, and I think that Al – very much. Uh, I've talked to Al in the past. He likes. He would like one more shot at being a head coach. Maybe it's Syracuse this year. Um, maybe it's Rutgers. I've talked to some people that um, know Al up in Jersey. I've talked to some people um, that have dealt with Al in recruiting, even since he's been at Notre Dame. And they told me, Bryce, you don't understand how this guy gets a red carpet when he comes back up here. People still love Al Golden up here. So depending on what happens at a Syracuse or Rutgers, I think that's why Al Golden has a great chance to be gone after two years at Notre Dame. But I think it's a very valuable thing that he's still back at Notre Dame for this second year. Yeah, I think that a lot of like how many third year coordinators are there? Yeah, it's they're, they're not many. I, I think people overstate um, the importance of like long term continuity. Um, you know, I, I think that a second year of Al Golden where Al is able to run his defense. Like I, I believe, you know, when he was hired, Marcus's first reaction was like, okay, you, you're going to run my defense. That changed pretty quickly. Um, but it changed to the point where like Al was playing catch up pretty much all last off season. Um, I don't, that did not help them when the season started, even though the defense played pretty well. I, I think that much like the linebackers themselves, Al Golden is probably a little bit undervalued by the Notre Dame fan base. Um, is he is the most engaging personality? Probably not. Um, but he's just kind of an old ball coach. And, you know, and to be fair, he's been a pretty good complimentary fit in terms of roster building. Is he a dynamic recruiter? No, but your head coach is also a linebackers coach and they're recruiting at linebacker pretty well. So I think that, it's probably been better than what I think a lot of Nerd fans, um, you know, would be willing to admit. Yeah, I think the red zone failures last year and the force field around Caleb Williams made a lot of people upset with Al Golden when in reality, the defense was better than the offense all of last year. Um, I don't think it's hugely important that your defensive coordinator is relational as much as all of the very charismatic coaches they have on the team. I don't think everybody needs to be everybody's buddy either. And it's like, I, Al Golden, for me, the number one thing he said was in the spring. He said, last year I came in, I installed everything I thought we needed. Turns out we didn't need a lot of that stuff against the teams we were playing. This year, I am installing things, spring and camp, for the 12 opponents on the schedule. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, I, I think it's huge that Al Golden came back because it would have been a disservice to the defense and especially the linebackers if they went through their seasons at Notre Dame with 2020 Clark Lee, 2021 Marcus Freeman, 2022 Al Golden, and 2023 somebody else. This is, it was clear that it was important for him to be there. And Pete, as you said, it was a miracle Clark Lee stayed for three years. Like he was courted the whole time after, the, you know, 
and of course, after the national championship or like if Boston, if, if Boston College offered him the job instead of Jeff Halfley, Clark Lee would have been here for two years. Right. And good, like, good coordinators get taken away. And, and John, I didn't know that. I was about to chime in and say, I think he'll be back in the NFL. But now, now I'm certain that he'll probably be on after a good season at Notre Dame if he has NFL options and also East Coast options. Yeah, NFL, I wanted to reiterate that that's very much uh, still out there for Al as a defensive coordinator. But but he would like one more shot at, at being a head coach. Those are a couple of the, the East Coast, Northeast schools <clears throat> that I think would have interest <clears throat> and would make sense. From a fit standpoint, also I would I real quickly want to want to note this. This is sort of like what we talked about earlier with players, NFL players getting to their second contract. I often think what's key for a coaches for a coaching staff and particularly for the head coach is what does he do when he starts losing coaches? How does he replace them? Um, and I, I've talked with various coaches. And they've told me, like, it's not who I hire to start out with. It's who I hire to replace the guys that I lose. Coaches who understand that, Marcus is very much one of them, um, I think they have a better approach. They're more comfortable in, in what they want to do, how they want to lead their program. Then I've got a guy like Butch Jones who complained to me years ago about how, how all these blankety-blanking people were trying to come and steal his coaches. Well, here's the thing. If people don't want to hire your coaches, you probably suck. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. That you don't you don't necessarily want. I know you know Brent Venable stayed forever, but they tried to hire him. He just chose to stay with with Clemson. You you want your coaches sought after, um, and Herbie not Smart. sought after to go to UMass or yeah. uh, something like that. Herbie Smart yeah. stayed stayed at Bama longer than anybody thought because uh, he turned stuff down. And, and one job too to go around winning all the time. That's that's a good time. Yeah. yeah, and and Will Muschamp did that for a while before he finally branched out and took some head coaching jobs. Yeah, I think Notre Dame was sort of in a sweet spot this offseason where, like, you kind of want somebody like Stucky or O'Leary to have, like, some interest but not too much interest. Um, And they sort of got there. Like, is Dylan McCullough going to be here for three years, four years? Probably not. That's fine. Um, You know, you'll you'll find another running backs coach. But, um, yeah, it's I would much rather have that be the case. And, like, I mean, I've, I've said this. If Notre Dame has assistance – that if if Notre Dame football ceased operations and those assistants couldn't get power five jobs immediately, they shouldn't have been on your staff in the first place. And Notre Dame has had a bunch of coaches like that over the years. I don't think that they have any of them right now. Our next question is from Terry Benedict, and we'll be able to answer this in about seven weeks, guys, but let's give it a shot today anyway. Who made a bigger step after a position change, Riley Mills or Chris Tyree? Hmm. I mean, Mill, I... It will be Tyree, but I think Mills will have more impact on the season. Is that like cheating and how I answer that? No, no I think that's good call. I, yeah, I, I don't think that's cheating at all because I think both things can be true simultaneously. I think both things uh, over the course of the season will be borne out as true simultaneously. I do think this is the year that, that Riley Mills becomes uh, a really key nuclear force along the interior of the defensive line for Notre Dame. And I think uh, I'm already stated multiple times that enough people in the program are super excited about Chris Tyree. We've all seen flashes of his speed. He could catch the ball some out of the backfield before he's catching it even better. So I, I think that's a good question because I think both of those guys are central to Notre Dame's success. I think Chris Tyree has a new lease on his football life and Riley Mills has a great audition for the NFL now in in a year that he had I mean if Riley Mills doesn't have a fantastic year this year we promise not to write about Riley Mills and how much different he is and what a freak he is on any list but Chris Tyree needed uh, it's a move that will help him a lot um 
because if he stayed at running back and even if he, let's say he was running back to be, it's much better for his future and audition at the NFL. And you know, he's going to test well that Chris Tyree can catch the ball because he wasn't going to get the ball handed to him very often in the NFL. So this is, it's good for both of them. Uh, it's great for Notre Dame. If they're both so good, they decide they're going pro. Obviously, if I think Priester has said it would be great for Notre Dame. If Riley Mills came back, that is true, but it would be better if Riley Mills all of a sudden got a, yeah, second round grade. You, you look fantastic. And then, you know, Chris Tyree, this is his fourth year. Um, it's it's Mills's too, but you know, Mills, I could see a fifth year defensive lineman dominating next year. I think Chris, this is Chris Tyree's one year audition, right? Yeah. I, I with with Mills, like I was told, he was one of the guys that asked for a draft grade last year. Last year. Well, he couldn't have gotten a good one last year. No, but once you once you ask for that, the next year means that you're going to yes, I think point. take advantage of that. So that's I think that's sort of where Riley Mills heads at. And like I I would much rather have Riley Mills be not on the team in 2024 because of how, because it made sense for him to leave after 2023. For all the right reasons, as the saying yeah, goes. The right he's, reasons. He's yeah. gone for all the right reasons instead of being here for all the right reasons. Next from Carson44, rank these players in order of total snaps. This is going to be tough. Defensively, we have Christian Gray, Sneed, and Osbury. Offensively, there is Flores and Jadarian Price. He left out Great House. Uh, and Osbury, we're going to go ahead and say special teams don't count because I think there's a lot of special team snaps on this list. Yeah, yes. I, I go. I mean, I think Sneed will be one. Flores will be two. Uh, no, Sneed will be one. Sneed one, Price two, Flores three, Gray four. And I think Osbury, I know Priester loves him. I just don't see where the defensive snaps come from this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Snead and Price are right there at, at the tip top of that list. Um, and then maybe he didn't mean, or maybe the the questioner didn't mean to leave off Great House. But I don't think you can have a list asking about uh, snap count guys who who really haven't played before uh, and not have Great House on. it. I might have Great House number one. If I you think I would have Great House number, I would have Great House number one actually. Yeah, I don't think I would quite have him number one, um, but I would have him right there behind Snead and Price. So, All right, here's one way of looking at it. Uh, so Chris Tyree, we could say, was the third running back last year, right? Although there was no fourth. That's another thing we have to point out. But Audric Estime was 375 snaps. Chris Tyree was 310. Uh, and Logan Diggs was 295, but he also uh, was withheld from a game. So that's Chris Tyree was pretty much the third running back. Tyree was 13th offensively, 8th if you want to knock out, or 7th if you want to knock out the quarterbacks and the offensive line. The third receiver was Styles with 500. Holy smokes, that's that's a lot. Deion Colsey had 165 as the fourth receiver. So I think Jadarian Price is the call um, offensively from this group because he has a chance to be number two with a bullet. Jalen Sneed, we keep saying, so remember Jaden Mickey last year, I think everybody can picture how much Mickey played. He had, I believe it was 248 snaps. That includes a start. But I mean, Jalen Sneed could start a game if they lose a player, right? He could he could find a way to start a game in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might probably go nickel, but it's, uh, I think that's a good snap total for Sneed. And that would be very helpful for Notre Dame if he can play as much as Mickey did last year. Um it's, I can't remember Prince Collie. I can, I guess I can look it up. This makes for bad radio, but I can look up Prince Collie's uh, snap total last year. Cause I think most people feel he didn't play enough, right? If, if you want to comparing what you want to get from Sneed this year to Prince Collie last year, 
Collie was only yeah, 135 snaps last year. That would not be enough for Snead. A Prince I think two, play. 200 snaps is the threshold for Snead where you feel like, okay, you used him. If it's less than that, then it's too easy to be like, oh, you got you had a three snap game here, but then like get some blowout snap like that. That's not the same thing as being in the rotation. Next from Irish from A2, which position group will Notre Dame fans be more impressed with after three games? So that's NC State offensive line or defensive line. Um, I I think defensive line. line. Yeah, Yeah. I think that the guard position. Uh, is going to be a growth in progress for Notre Dame. And I think that um, we're all, I mean, I'm already so freaking impressed by Joe Alt. Um, and we all thought there was going to be um, maybe more significant drop off than what we now expect along the defensive line. So I think through three games, I, I would go with the defensive line and what I expect from them at this point in time. Have have fans ever been impressed with the offensive line through three games? <laughs> no, that's true. It is not. Like even usually. great, even great offensive lines don't play that well in the first three games uh, often. I asked Rudolph about that, and he's like, yeah, just it takes a minute. It's a weird position. Um, defensive line, you're just looking for a couple flash plays, and like you think the line's playing great. Offensive line, if you have a couple plays against you, you think it's a disaster. Um, you know, it's just that, that position is going to need to work out some kinks. I could see the offensive line struggling at NC State. I don't think you're going to learn a whole lot against Navy uh, or Tennessee State, but um, I think that the defensive line will start the season higher in terms of its regard uh, among the fan base, but I think the offensive line may finish the season higher and how people view it. And game five is when Notre Dame fans need to be impressed with the offensive line because that's the possibility of an upset is by the offensive line yeah, being a cohesive working unit after going into that Ohio State game. Next from Irish, 1490. Rank the road trips for Notre Dame games this year. He's making his first trip to Dublin. Uh, you guys can rank them in order of difficulty, fun, whatever you'd like. Just let me know. Uh, I know what last is for me. Difficulty <laughs> of of getting to them? like what's... Difficulty of the game being uh, a, a close game or playable game for Notre Dame. I, I think uh... you just rate, your, just rate your road trips for fun. That's how this should always be done. Yeah. I mean, nobody, for... it's, it's about yeah. us. Yeah. Not about the game. <laughs> uh, well, it would be my first trip to Ireland, so um, I'm excited for that one. So I would rank that one number one. Um, I don't know how many strong opinions I have beyond that. I always enjoy Louisville. I also like the fact that it's a pretty easy trip for us, which Pete's already made clear is what really matters. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we have to hammer home that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't looked. I know I, I'm not at all looking forward to Raleigh or Durham, uh, <laughs> period. Like, and I've, I've been there enough being an SEC country and ACC country and um, my previous stints before that, yeah, I, I won't get excited about any of those unless I happen to have some friends or family who come over from East Tennessee and decide they want to either visit me or watch the Irish one of those weekends. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dublin is a clear number one. Um, and even though I'm, I'm going against my own, it's about us, not about the game. I will put Clemson number two. Yeah, because I feel like we all kind of got screwed out of it um, in 2015 because the weather was so bad. Um, I ended up having to like abort a flight before we took off, thankfully, um, and drive it. So that I'm that will be. I feel like this will actually be my first time at Clemson, even though it's the second. Um, Stanford is hard to knock off uh, from the top of the list for personal reasons, because it's the end of the year and it's Northern California and it's not in the Midwest. Um, and then I feel like 
Raleigh Durham is like the West Lafayette of North Carolina. So I it's it's kind of a <laughs> I on. mean it's it's okay, maybe it's the East Lansing. I don't know. It's they both are like it's fine, but it's very much like anywhere USA. There's nothing about it that's all that interesting. Other right, than right. you can get a direct flight from South Bend, which is great. All right, I come at it from a different angle with Raleigh. I'm gonna give them a little little credit here in a second. But uh one is obviously Dublin, especially since we lost out in 2020. You recall that we spent the entire off season uh, not knowing if there'd be football, but before we thought football would be canceled, we kept saying, "Of course they'll play the game in Dublin. Of course they'll play the game in Dublin." So this is, uh, it's. I'm really looking forward to going back. Wish we had one more day for the jet lag situation because I was in London recently and that got me really bad. So Ireland number one, number two is Clemson because it is going to be nuts, and that's part of my fun. It's all about me, and part of my fun is watching college football in that environment. It's going to be awesome. Uh, by the way, Clemson is 18 and one in night games against ranked teams this millennium. So that's an issue. Uh, number three is San Francisco. We stay in Palo Alto now. I'm sorry. We stay in Burlingame now. And I've already sent you guys the uh, Pete doesn't stay with us on this trip. But I've uh, sent I mean, you guys Santa Cruz, like you guys need to venture out to Santa Cruz. That's my uh, that's my go to out there now. Yeah, yeah that's that, either that or Half Moon Bay. That's a beautiful, uh, that's always a beautiful trip. And it's always great walking around Stanford's campus amid the 27 fans and enjoying them before the pregame. Uh, Louisville's last for me because I might just be going down and back this situation. I, I have my friend, a lot of my friends, that is the big trip this year. I think we've talked about on the podcast before. That's my friend's big trip. They're going to be doing the whole whiskey tour. I will not be doing that. I'm going down. My daughter will be having softball before. My son will have football afterwards. So Louisville's last. And I got to say, I like my annual trip to Raleigh. It's a lot of fun. Angus Barn, John, if you come out, you can join us for steak dinner, of course. So Raleigh's next. That would be the North Carolina State game. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Pete, we also got robbed of that trip. That was a hurricane at uh, the NC State game. Now we get to go see a stadium that's not shaking. Yeah, in theory. And Duke is last because uh, every time you walk on that campus, you look down and you go, look at that. I wonder what little team plays in that high school stadium right there. And it's Duke. So that is last because it's trip number two. You're talking about the basketball arena or the football? Yeah, no, I am not talking about the basketball arena. That is quite a thing. That's bucket list, but I hit it, so that that was special. Our final question is from Beach Troy. Assuming Hartman stays healthy and 9-3 and three is your safe bet for this year's record, which outlier is more likely, 11-1 and one or 7-5? and five? I think 11-1. and one. I don't think – I don't see this team going 7-5. and five. I, just, I just don't. Even, even if – even if there's a hurricane every week, as you guys th- are talking about the inclement weather from that 15 season, I just don't see a scenario where this team goes uh, seven and five. Uh, I talked to people on campus this week. They believe they have elevated the talent bar so significantly in South Bend. They get two of their three most important games in night at nighttime inside Notre Dame Stadium. Um and they're a more physical team with with a different edge. I've not been around. I've been around the program a little bit since 2019, so this will be my fifth season. Uh, in addition to the other stuff that I've done, so I, I'm I pale in comparison to you guys. But I see a dramatic roster change, and I see a dramatic attitude, physicality, chip on their shoulder, um, edge to this team that that I don't think some of the other teams were perceived to have. Yeah, I could see. I mean, I feel like the 17 and 18 teams both were a little bit edgy. Um, 17 really was with their yeah, 17. Like, yeah, I had a question in my mailbag about like, like the cohesion or closeness of the team where every team says it. And like my, my eyes glaze over when people talk about how close this team is compared to other teams. And I do think like this team has, 
I could see this team having some 17 vibes to it in terms of more of like all for one, one for all, like pulling in the same direction. Cause like last year was not, it ended okay. But I, I think, I mean, what, what game did Marcus Freeman talk most about this off season? Marshall. Like, and I, I think that is pervasive in the program too. Like that, while it ended on an upbeat and like everyone got a gold star for winning the Gator Bowl, like it's the Marshall game that I think sticks with people the most. Um, and I think that gives this team a little bit of an edge going into it. So I I think if if I was betting, I would bet the over um, and uh, for wins. And I think they're much more likely to go 10 and two than eight and four. I think 11 and one is a reach. Um, Seven and five would be a would be a disaster. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. You, I, I don't see that happening. Eleven to one over seven and five. Ten and two over eight and four. Um, seven and five would be a problem too. That's with the new court with with Sam Hartman there. That's I guess if you I mean, and this this assumes Sam Hartman stays healthy. So seven and five is not really an option for me. Something got real weird. Yeah, it would be that would be an off season from. Oh, that'd be bad. That's I can't go there. Eleven to one. That's a heck of a year with this schedule. There's landmines in there. Like Pete, you said, I don't expect them to lose one of those games. I kind of do expect them to lose one game against a quality eight win ACC football team that makes them go 10 and two, perhaps instead of 11 and one. I feel like for, for me, I don't know. I mean, we'll do the big season preview next week, but I want, I want to see Notre Dame be eight and one. Yes. Going to Clemson. That and and at that point, whatever happens at Clemson happens. But I want to see you eight and one go to Clemson. That means you've solved some of the the Marshall Stanford games where you didn't you didn't flat tire your way to a loss against NC State, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Duke. Duke. Uh, and then you got one of your two big home games. Yeah. Um so it it means the program took a big step forward. It also means when the dog and pony show playoff rankings come out, like Notre Dame's in the, in the conversation. Um, and I've always said like, what's a successful season for Notre Dame. I still feel like when you're in the playoff mix on November 1st, whether you make it or not, that that's a positive. So um, that, that to me is like what a successful season would really look like for Notre Dame. I, I would just interject real quickly and say, I, I completely agree that, thing I said maybe recently on radio in Texas or or Fox or radio or something is they have to split those two significant home games that we're all talking about, Ohio State and USC, and they have to go to Clemson in control of their playoff destiny at that point. And if they're eight and one going to Clemson and win that game, they're in full, complete control of their playoff destiny at this point. I had somebody argue me this week, um, and this is the beauty of college football like oh i don't think notre dame can be 11 and 1 to be a playoff team i don't think notre dame can be 11 and 1 and not be a playoff team because i don't think there are great juggernaut teams in college football this year i know that that georgia has oodles of talent uh, but i think the bulldogs still have some growing pains ahead of them at the quarterback position um and i think michigan has a, a very nice roster and a setup for an undefeated season but i just think there are a lot of quality teams but not superior teams in college football this year. Well, I think like if, the last time Notre Dame almost went 11 and one was 2015 and they would not have made the playoff that year. They would have missed out to Oklahoma, which is like, 
there could be five 11 and one teams and Notre Dame could be the fifth one as possible. But if Ohio, like no, that team didn't have a win or even close to what an Ohio state win would be or, right. or even a USC win would be. Um, but I just think 11 and one man that you're, you're probably going to make it. Um, but even if you're 10 and two and you lose at Clemson play well, like a, that, I don't think you would be bending over backwards or to say like, Hey, good season. Um, that, that would still count as a success to me. Well, time conversation, because we will have a season preview, uh, the annual at irishillustrated.com on Sunday, I believe you can look for that called the season. Um, and we will send, send the bar. We'll be having a Friday podcast next week in Dublin. It is the bar at a shopping center at St. Stephen's green. We'll drop the address on this podcast thread. Tim Priest will be back on Monday to host a full Navy preview. Until then, for John Bryce, Pete Sanson, I'm Tim O'Malley. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Did you know that over 10 million pints of Guinness are consumed every single day? Dublin is the home of this very famous Irish stout, where it's brewed, stored and distributed worldwide. And if you're visiting Dublin, the Do Dublin Hop On, Hop Off bus tour is the perfect way to explore the city and its iconic landmarks, including the Guinness Storehouse. Book your tickets now at dodublin.ie forward slash Irish Illustrated to secure your spot on the tour. But hurry, spaces are filling up fast.